Um, also, your message outline for the day, we're going to be um, learning the secret of contentment. And uh, it's, all, it's a very short series now, three weeks that we're going to be in together. And um, by the way, uh, let me give you kind of a picture of where we're going for the next, uh, the next season. I'm all, often praying about what God would have us studying together as a church. And um, on that March 1st prayer vigil that we're having, um, I'm, that week I'm going to launch, when this series is finished, I'm going to launch a new series. And we're, I'm going to challenge you to read the Gospel of Luke together as we move through the months of March and April getting ready for Easter. So I think it's going to be a great growth period for us this spring. Um, but today, we're going to be talking and starting our conversation around what it really looks like to be happy, to be joy-filled in your life, to be content, especially in a world that continues to say, well, you need something new. You need a new car. You need a new house. You need a new job. You need new food, better food. You know, it, we are told new, new, new all the time. And, and so I want to talk to you about the secret of contentment. And here's how I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm, we're going to study, we're just going to kind of sit down in a small, small passage of Scripture together, and we're going to bend it, and we're going to chew on it, and we're going to pull some deep truth out of a passage where Paul was writing to a, a church in Philippi. Now, before we, 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 we get there, let me tell you, um, I was talking to somebody this past week, and they were inviting somebody to this brand new series, which is always a great idea, um, especially if you think this series, the, the series we're entering into might be of application or attractive to the person that you're talking with, a coworker, a family member, or whatever. And, and the person was telling me they were inviting somebody to come and be a part of this new series called The Secret of Contentment. And the response of the person who they were talking to said, oh, man, do I need some of that, you know? And I think that that not only is that person, but I, if I, can I just say that I think that's sometimes all of us. Now, we live in a very rich, blessed abundant culture. 80% of the world's richest resources have been poured into the land that you call home. And oftentimes, even though we are of the richest people on the planet as a, as a country and as a nation, we actually have the most problems because we haven't really understood that some of the stuff doesn't really teach us how to really learn what happiness, joy, contentment is really all about. And so this morning as we begin this brand new series, I want to just invite you, like I often do, to pray a prayer of openness, that as God speaks his word over us, that his word would go down deep and that it would bear fruit like seed, eternal fruit, not, not a fruit that's going to help us this week, though some of us might say, I need that. I mean, we want to have fruit that's going to last, right, that's going to grow us and change us. So would you pray that prayer of openness with me this morning? Father, in the next few minutes as we study your word, we believe your word is life. We believe your word is eternal. The Bible tells us even of itself that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce past bone and marrow straight to our spirit. And so this morning, we just pray that Jesus, <laughs> I pray, you'd let this preacher get out of the way. And you would just come, Lord Jesus, and speak a word into every one of our lives. Mold us, challenge us, change us, I pray. And I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So Paul was writing in the book of Philippi, uh, Philippians, if you have that, maybe turn it open with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be sitting inside one little small scripture in Philippians chapter 4, and here's what I want to tell you about the book first, so you can kind of get a context for what in the world Paul was even addressing or writing towards anyway. Paul was in prison when he wrote the book of Philippians. He was in jail 
for being a disciple of Jesus Christ and for preaching the gospel. He was chained to a wall, and he, he was writing a letter to these people of, in this, this city called Philippi where he had planted a church. Now, he knew of these people that they were undergoing incredible persecution, but he also knew and had gotten word that they were doing phenomenally at, at staying true to who Jesus Christ was and their faith. And so he writes this letter to the Philippians basically to do two things. Number one, he wants to encourage them. And so actually this book is sometimes called the book of joy because the word joy is used over and over again. He will tell them to have joy, and I've heard about your joy. He wants them to be truly happy. And so he encourages them in the middle of their persecution, he encourages them to, to know the depth of contentment and happiness even while life might not be so good. And then the second thing that he writes about is he's wanting to thank them. He wants to thank them because they have been very generous to him, and he wants to um, write a little personal thank you note, so to speak. So that's what Philippians is all about. And this morning, we're going to focus in just on four verses of Scripture together, 10, 11, 12, and 13. So if you've got your Bible, I invite you to read with me Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. Paul writes these words, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm, I'm not saying this because I am in need. Now, remember, this guy's in prison, right? <laughs> I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. If you have your pen, why don't you make that the first note on your page today? Just underline those, those uh, six words. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. There it is again. I have learned the secret. Maybe you'd underline that. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, those four verses are what we're going to live in today, and the next week we're going to go a little bit further, and then the next week we're going to do a little bit further into Philippians 4. But those four verses right out of the gate tell us a very important thing about contentment and happiness in our lives. And here's the, what it tells us, that contentment and happiness are learned behaviors. You can learn. Paul said it right there. I have learned what it is to be content. I have learned the secret I have learned the secret of being content. Now, real quickly, follow me here. Think about all the things you've learned in this life. Now, I, now, we talk about learning something like this. I don't want it to be vague. It can be nebulous out there. It can be all spiritual. Right, listen, think about the things you've learned. Did you ever learn to play baseball? Did you ever learn to ride a bike? Did you ever learn how to, how to write a sentence with subject and predicate? Did you ever, did you ever learn how to draw Think about what you've learned. I learned music. I learned things just like you did. And in order to learn those things, it took practice, right? Today we're going to talk about practices that you can put in your life to learn some things. But here, hold on to this truth from the very beginning. You can learn how to be content. It's not something that you'll just pick up one day. Like you can't just pick up playing the piano, okay? You can't. You have to learn how to play the piano. You have to learn how to play soccer. You can learn how to be content. And for the next three weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. How can I practice? How can I learn? How can I put some principles in my place to really learn what it looks like to be happy no matter what my circumstances hold? 
Now, can we just go ahead and confess who we are for a minute? There's a, there's a myth in America. I want to put it right up here on the board. There's a myth in the world. There's a myth as humans that we face. And here's the myth. Here's the myth. I'll be happy when my circumstances improve. Write that one down. I'll be happy when my circumstances improve or when my desires are achieved. I like to sometimes think, think of, sometimes think of things in continuum, so I'll kind of use a continuum here across the front of the platform, and I'll start over here in, in circumstance land, okay? Circumstance, we think we're going to be happy when a certain thing, a circumstance gets better in our life. And that thing could be a new job. That thing could be my family quits fighting with one another. That thing could be, you know, I get the house remodeled. That thing can be a lot of different things. When my circumstances improve, that's when I will be happy. And I want to tell you ahead of time, it's a myth, it's a lie, and I'll show you why in just a minute. But before I do that, let me run over there to the other side and deal with our desires. The other thought that we have is, well, I don't know about all that circumstance and stuff, but I know that I want to be happy, I want to be joyful, and it's got something to do with my desires. So we think one of two thoughts over here. We think to ourselves, one day I'm going to get everything I hope for over there. My desires are going to be fulfilled, and I'm really going to be happy. I'm going to meet the man of my dreams. I'm going to get married. I'm going to score something on you know, this score on the SAT. And we have these desires that will one day be met, and we're hoping for that, that it will make us happy one day. Or if we find ourselves as kind of like the, the pious Christian, we think to ourselves, well, I just need to put away my desires. If I just push down my desires, if I just let my desires, it, I, can, I can push down my desires so much that I can find happiness even without, you know, with, without these desires. Can I just tell you that contentment is neither that over there, this, this when my circumstances arrive, I'll be happy, and it's also not this over there that's all about your desires and, and they're going to dictate how you're going to be happy. Contentment looks far different than that. And watch this. Now I'll be in the middle for a minute. Contentment isn't just, oh God, it's this passive, I, I, no matter what my circumstances say, no matter what my desires feel like, I can be happy and I'm just going to live, I'm going to choose to be happy. This kind of passive choice, self-purposed, I will be happy. It's so much more than that. Contentment looks far more like this, this movement in your soul where you're not standing still, but you're you're aggressively moving towards an understanding of what it really looks like to not be dictated your happiness by circumstances you live through or by whatever desire, the next desire you get. It looks so different than that. And so that's what I want to talk to you about. What's the problem with this myth, that myth up there? Here's the problem. The horizon is always moving. So if you're thinking about one day my circumstances will be better, you know how that works, right? You do get the better job, and all of a sudden, it's the next circumstance, right? It's the next horizon, and it moves even further away. Or you have these desires over here. I have My life will be so much better when I get the iPhone X. Oh, I wanted the iPhone X, you know, the desires. And then you get the iPhone X, and then you think, oh, as soon as you get the X, iPhone X, you find out about the iPhone Z. You know, wow. Wow. And then your desires change again, right? The horizon is always moving. And here's what God, I think, wants to teach us in this series. You and your life, you were never meant to have your joy and your happiness depend on your circumstances. And you were never meant to have your desires just dictating how you feel and who you are. That's not who you are. And so Paul is going to give us some principles in this, these scriptures about how to learn what, it, what contentment really looks like and to put some practices in place that, that can revolutionize your life. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 100 years or two. I don't care if you're, a, if you're a teenager or a child or an adult. 
doesn't matter. These principles, these practices that we're going to learn together can revolutionize your life, can change your family. So you got your pen. I want to talk to you about four principles in each one of these verses that we can learn from it, okay? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to share with you four principles, but I'm also going to give you four practices because if you're going to learn something, you got to practice something, right? If you're really going to learn it. So I'm going to give you four principles and four practices. So here's the first principle. Um, number one, write this one down. True happiness is not dependent on my circumstances. True, genuine, sincere happiness is not dependent on my circumstances. Now, guys, here's what we've been taught unconsciously. We have been taught across the years that someday when my circumstances, when, when I, whatever my circumstances are in life, will somehow or the other meet up with my desires, and my desires and my circumstances sometimes, some way, somehow will meet with each other. When that happens, then I'll be happy. When my circumstances and when my desires finally align, then I'll be happy. I call it when-then thinking. You might want to write that in the margin. When-then thinking. And we, we've been unconsciously taught this, and we think it the whole time. We feel it in our own bones. When-then thinking. When I finally get married, when I, I finally get a job that honors me and pays me more, then I will be happy. When I get the basement remodeled, then I'm going to feel better. When, when, then, then, when, when, then, then. And we think it's all about our circumstances and our desires finally aligning, and then we will be happy. When then thinking, listen carefully, is a lie. It is a lie that the enemy wants us. It's a world of thought that the enemy wants us to live in. And it's not God's plan for us, not when then thinking. Because you know what, you know what when then thinking is? Have you ever seen a dog chase its tail? Anybody ever seen that before? You ever, you, do you realize that's what when then thinking is? And what happened? By the way, does the dog, is the dog going to catch his tail if he runs faster? No! But this is what we do. We just, I can run faster. When then? And we will finally, we think we're going to catch our tail. When the truth of the matter is, this is not the way God calls you to live. So how are you ever going to break the power of the lie? How are you going to, here's, here's the practice in your margin right there where I give you the little note. Here, I'm going to give you some practices on the right-hand side. Here's, the, here's how you break the lie of when-then thinking, and you make sure that your happiness is not determined by circumstances. You be thankful. You be grateful. You grow in that thankfulness. You grow in that gratefulness. You make it a habit. You make it something that you do obediently. You become a thankful and grateful person that's not always looking at the circumstance and the desire to make you happy. Let me say that a little bit differently. What does it look like to be thankful? It means you learned to thank God for what you have instead of telling God what he ought to change. Now think about that for a minute. Boy, if I had a microphone under your pillow and if you talked every one of your prayers out loud, I wonder what I would hear you tell God that needed to be changed. Have you ever thought about that? I wonder what you would tell God needed to be changed. And, and, and you, it's so easy, guys, to focus on what we want instead of really saying, God, I thank you for what I have. Now here's why you need to understand this. Everybody look at me. Everybody look up from your notes for me. Look at me. Maybe you haven't 
maybe you've forgotten. You know this, but maybe you've forgotten. This is for every person in this room. Remember, billions upon billions of dollars are spent every year trying to make you discontent. It's in magazines. It's on TV commercials. It's in movies. Billions and billions of dollars are trying to get you to have win-then thinking, wanting you to think that you must have different circumstances and you must have different, and if they will just meet, then you'll be happy. Billions of dollars are spent on this. This is why it's so important that we, who are God's people, learn that we live in a culture that's trying to get us to live this way, but we will not live this way because God's plan for us is different than that. So what would it look like for you in the culture that's trying to get you to be discontent to be an incredibly thankful person at all times who's thanking God for what you have, not focused on what you don't have, right? Let me tell you a little story. You will see how this lived out in my life. Um, I have a wonderful wife. Told a story on her last week. Might as well do it this week too. And, and so, and maybe she'll, I'll do it until she gets on to me. I, 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 Julie and I got married pretty young. Pretty young. Matter of fact, I do premarital counseling for everybody that I marry these days. It's my gift to them to do their wedding, starting one in just a couple of weeks. Um, Julie and I didn't have that, okay? <laughs> Nobody helped us out. And so we were pretty young. We both were college educated and we met each other. We were madly in love. And, um, and we got married, and, 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 and let me tell you, maybe you would identify with this. I, I just talked to the men for a minute. I remember there being these things in Julie that I was just crazy about. I mean, now, now we're different, and, and that, some of those opposite things, those different things actually attracted me to her. For example, I wasn't the most timely person. I wasn't very good with my time, and I just remember thinking, she's so punctual. She's gonna, she is so on time about everything she does. I remember another thing was that, that she's very strong-willed, that's true, right? She's very, very strong-willed, and I just remember thinking, I can't have some pushover girl. i got to have a strong woman, you know? And so I, I would tell people, I would tell her, you know, this is Julie. She's so good at this. She's so good at that. Now, let me tell you, then we got married. <laughs> and, you know, I, the things I looked at before that was so different than me, all of a sudden I looked at them differently. Right? Before she was punctual. Now she was a nag. I mean, she was, get off of me about the time thing. Over, I'm just telling the truth, ain't I? You know? And before she was, she was uh, authoritative and strong-willed, you know what she is now? Argumentative. I mean, she's just argumentative. I want to argue about everything. You know? Now, i got to confess this. The truth of the matter was, there were things like that. I'm quite confident that she looked at me and, and like, I'm sure before we got married, she was like, oh, he's such an outgoing person. He's so out, you know, he's just type A. I bet now it's, he's loud. He's super loud. Hurt my ears loud, you know? Yeah, 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 I know. And I could go on. You know what I realized very early in my marriage, and I'm thankful for actually her daddy who helped me figure this out, that there were two things, actually. There were these things... That, that were different about her, that God was going to grow in me. And God had given me, Julie, to help me grow in those things. That was number one, and I needed to appreciate those things. But number two, I needed to understand that there were things that I could thank God for, and I could not, that, that would be, I'd be so much a better man and a better husband if I looked at her and I said, thank you, God, for these things, these beautiful things that you've given me in this woman. Not focusing on the things that I'd want to change in her, Right? By the way, there is no perfect woman, no perfect man, right? It just doesn't happen, right? And all of a sudden, our relationship really changed in just the first few years of our marriage when she, I think she began to do that and I began to do that. And, and, and we, had, 
we had these different thought processes, you know? We weren't focused on what we didn't have in a mate. We were focused on thanking God. Thank you, God, that, that she is such a phenomenal mom, that she is a nurturer that I'm not, God. And thank you that she is she's so personal, and she loves the time alone with me. She wants that. And there's, I, I began to thank God for those things that were the most beautiful things, and it changed my heart. Am I making any sense? If you can learn the practice of being thankful, thanking God for what you have, instead of focusing on what you don't have, all of a sudden you're learning something about what it means to be content. You're, you're, you're learning that your happiness is not dependent upon your circumstances and hoping that one day they'll line up. And I'm not going to buy that lie. That's a lie of the enemy. I'm learning to be a thankful person. Here's another thing I think this scripture can teach us. Look at, uh, look at this one. True happiness, number two. True happiness is an attitude we learn, not a place we achieve. True happiness is an attitude we learn, not a place that we will achieve one day. Let me say it differently. Here's the lie. Here's the myth. Basically, in every one of these points, I'm going to share with you a lie or a myth that you can buy into. And here's the lie. Here's the myth. Happiness for me is out there somewhere. Contentment is out there somewhere, and I'll go, I'll find it out there somewhere. Please understand this. Get this. Contentment is not something that is out there. It's actually in here, okay? Contentment is something that God wants to do in you. He wants to do a work inside of you. It's not something you're one day going to find out there. And, and this is so, this is what we need to get, guys. This is why I'm taking three weeks to talk about what does it really look like? to learn how to be happy no matter what your circumstances hold. Look at this scripture. The Bible says it this way from Paul's words, verse 11. I'm not saying that this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, underline these words, whatever the circumstance. See, Paul was saying, I've learned this, whatever the circumstance, I will not let it, uh, I will not let it make me an unhappy, unjoyful, discontented person. Now here's the practice. Write this one down. The practice is be teachable. Be teachable. In the middle of your circumstance, whatever your circumstance is, what do you have to learn? Be teachable in the middle of that. Here's the practice. Be teachable. Now, Stephen, what, is, what does teachability really mean? Teachability is saying whatever your circumstance is, you ask, God, what are you doing here? And what do you want to teach me? Instead of focusing on the next thing or something that if you could change it, you could get to it out there, you could be happier out there. Instead, sitting back and saying, okay, God, I really can't change my circumstance a lot right now. I don't need to be focused on that. It looks like my, my boss is not going to be moving away. You know, it looks like I've got my boss, you know. It looks like, I, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be selling my house, you know. I'm not going I'm, I'm to be saying, teach me in the middle of my circumstance, God, what you have to teach me. I have a friend who... Uh, who was struggling with something in his life, he was stuck. And I think we all know what it's like to be stuck. He was stuck somewhere. And you know what he did? He went and just in his own private Bible time, he, he, he wrote down what he considered his priorities. And then he realized that he had his priorities all messed up. He was saying one thing. He had put God on the top and then his family next. He had put his, his priorities in a certain place. And, and then he felt like God said, you know what? You may say that's your priorities, but it doesn't, that's not really what your priorities are. He had, to, he had to go back and write down his priorities, how they really were, face the truth. And then he had to say, God, in the middle of all this, I need to quit asking you to change things because that's why he was stuck. He was so focused on, God, change this, change this, change. You know what he needed to say, God? Here I am. 
I'm right where you've got me to be. What do you want to teach me? What do you want to teach me right now? Can I just talk to you, church, for a minute? What do you want to teach me when I get a reduction in my salary? What do you want to teach me when my family is not all acting right right now, right? What do you want to teach me? What do you want to teach me in the middle of this? You know, you can get an attitude. You can get all mad if you want to. You can slam your fist down and say, well, this ought not be that way. Or you can sit back and look at those first two practices and say, God, I'm going to be thankful for what you've given me. I'm not going to focus on what I don't have, and I'm going to be teachable. So, God, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to do inside my mind and my soul in this period right now? Now, everybody watch this. You may or may not know this, but from time to time, over and over again, I am trying to self-destruct, blow up, atomic bomb, bad images of God. I think that's one of the jobs that a pastor has to do in a world when it's so easy for us to get the wrong picture of God. And so from time to time, you'll hear me talk about how some people look at God like he's a watchmaker and he winded up the world, created the world, and then he went off and left it to work, you know, and I'm going to blow that out of the water. I'm going to say that is so not right. God is always involved in his creation. And then there's these other views of God like he's a big cop, you know, and he's waiting for people to do that, which is bad, you know, I'm going to blow that one up. Can I just blow up a, 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 a concept of God that you may have and not even know that you have? A lot of people look at God like he is a self-help genie that just wants to make your life nice and good. And so we pray these very nice prayers, you know, because after all, isn't God after my happiness? Doesn't God want everything to be all right in my world? I mean, doesn't it, God wants me to be a happy person, right? So God, oh, I'm, I pray this way that you do X, Y, and Z. And if you will do those things, because I know you should do those things, you ought to do those things because I know you want me happy. And can I tell you that's not who God is? Can I also tell you if there was ever a preacher who told you that God's number one agenda was your happiness, I want to apologize because that's dead wrong. Let me say it in a way that be worthy of something that you would write in the margins. God's number one agenda has never been your comfort. God is far more interested in your character than he is your comfort. I'll say it this way. God's number one agenda for you is that he would shape you to look like his son that you would look more and more like Jesus as you journey through this life. Whether good times are happening or bad times are happening, whether in seasons of plenty or in seasons of scarcity, in sickness and in health, God's plan, his number one agenda, is that you would be conforming, being transformed to the image of his son. He wants to make you like his son. So, so here's, I think, the goal of every, of every person here who would call yourself a Christ follower. The goal is that we would understand that God wants us to live these thankful lives that don't focus on what we do have, but are, are incredibly thankful for what we do have so that circumstances don't dictate our happiness, but also that God would help us in these moments when life's kind of rough to be teachable, whether life's good or life's rough, be teachable and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? Now, now get this. Have you ever... 
Have you ever seen a Christian or Christ follower in your place of work who was going through rough stuff, but still they had this incredible teachability, humbleness, wonderful attitude? I mean, you looked at them and you go, I know their marriage is horrible, but look at them. They just seem so teachable. They seem so humble. They seem so hungry. They, they're not mad at the world. They're not, they're, they're just, you ever, you ever seen? See, I think God wants you and me to be that kind of person. That when life ain't very well, and, and you know, everybody else is panicking, you know, or everybody looks at us and go, you have every reason to complain, that they, that they, they would look at us and they would go, I mean, look at you. Look at you. I mean, I know what's going on in your world. But look at how you are shaped. Look at how you're wired. Look at how you're, you're teachable and growing. See this, guys, this is the attitude I think God wants in every one of our lives. But it will not come naturally. You have to practice thanksgiving. You have to practice teachability. You have to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? I'll tell you what, on this third one, why don't we do the, the practice first, okay? Write this one down. Here's the practice for number three. Write it in the margins there. Be flexible. Be, be flexible. What do you mean by that, Stephen? Well, if God's teaching you something, and you're saying, okay, God, teach me whatever you want to teach me, it's in the middle of the teaching moment that you might need to switch courses. You might need to change what you're doing. I, I, let me tell you, I, I, I should have asked permission, and I'm not going to call somebody out here, but I've been praying for a person in, in, in our church who is who's going through a job transition right now. I've been praying for him. I pray for, if you let us know how to pray for you, we have a whole team of people. Pray, I pray for people in our church. There's a person in our church going through a job transition right now. And, and the wonderful thing about what he's doing is that he is trying to be teachable even in the moment. He's saying, God, you're doing something here. What are you teaching me? Now, here's the key question. If God's teaching you, if he's showing you, are you willing to change? And what I love so much about this person is they are changing things. They, in the middle of this God-teaching moment, in the middle of their own strife and chaos, they're actually changing some things in their world. They're flexing with, with, with what God's showing them about their world. Will you be flexible? Will you be teachable and really apply the teaching of God to change in your life? Will you do that? Here's number three. Write this one down. Prosperity doesn't have the power to make me happy, and poverty does not have the power to take it away. Prosperity does get that. If you could just get that, it'd be worth the price of admission today, all right? Prosperity does not have the power to make me happy, and poverty cannot take it away. Look at what Paul said. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. This was written by a guy who the Bible says had it all. Before he became a Christ follower, he was one of the richest men. He's one of the most educated men. He was a, he was a person of high esteem in his culture, and then he, had, he was also a person who experienced the, the low, he writes about in the Bible, the lowest of the lows, places where he had been beaten and left for dead, shipwrecked on islands. He had, been, he had seen the lowest of the low of poverty. He'd been jailed. He'd been, and he says, I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What Paul was saying in that moment was, Riches and poverty, neither one of those can either make me happy or can rob my joy. Normally, I preach through an entire point, 
but today I want you to hear somebody's story, and I'm going to show it to you via video. If it's okay, I'm going to let them preach their story. Now, you might have heard of this young man named Nick Vujicic, but if you'll listen, if you'll listen and you'll ask yourself, in what ways did Nick experience poverty? In what ways is, rich, is Nick rich? Look for the joy. Look for the happiness. Look for the contentment in Nick's life far beyond whether things could go right or wrong, good or bad, rich or poor. And may this story inspire you. My dad was saying that he was, you know, his head was next to my mum's head as, uh, as I was being born. And he saw my shoulder and he just went pale. He was hoping my mum didn't see me because he saw that I had no right arm. And my dad had to leave the room and he couldn't believe what he saw. And the doctor came in and my dad said, my son, he has no right arm. And he says, no, your son has no arms or legs. And he said he nearly fell on the floor. He couldn't believe it. And the whole church was mourning, you know, like why would God let the pastor's son be born that way? And my mom, at first, she, she didn't want to hold me. She didn't want to, you know, breastfeed me and all that. Um, she just felt very uncomfortable for the first four months. And it took them quite a while before they could trust in God that he didn't make a mistake, that he didn't forget them or me. Nick's parents gave their fear and even disappointment in their son's disability over to the Lord. They chose to trust God and His promise that He had a plan and purpose, a hope and a future for their son. But as the years passed, Nick, on the other hand, had many challenges trusting in a God that he felt gave him less. I challenged God. I said, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I won't probably have peace until you're in my heart, but I will not let you in my heart until you answer me why. Why did you take my arms and legs? Why didn't you give me what everybody else has? And I said, God, until you answer me that question, I will not serve you. And so I wanted to end it. If God wasn't going to end my pain, I was going to end it myself. So at age eight, I tried to drown myself in a bathtub of four inches of water. I told my mom and dad, I'm just going to relax in the bathtub. Can you put me in the bathtub? And uh, yeah, I turned over a couple times to see if I could do it, I couldn't do it. Um, the thought that stopped me from going through with it was the love for my parents. That would be the last time Nick would attempt suicide, but it wouldn't be the last time he would come face to face with those deep issues that made him want to end the pain. Then one day, Nick's mother had him read an article about a severely disabled man, and that man's story made a huge impact on Nick. I have a choice to either be angry at God for what I don't have or be thankful for what I do have. And my mom, she said, Nick, God's going to use you. I don't know how, I don't know when, but God's going to use you. And those seeds started penetrating in my heart. And that's when I started seeing that there is no point in being complete on the outside when you're broken on the inside. And I found out that God can heal you without changing a circumstance. I gave my life to Jesus Christ when I read John 9 at age 15, where a man was coming through a village and a man, um, this, this blind man from birth, Jesus saw him. People said, why was this man born that way? Jesus said, it was done so that the works of God may be revealed through him. And in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, it says, all scripture is God breathed. And I believe God breathed in me life and faith. 
this faith came over me, this peace came over me. And it was in Jesus Christ where Nick found the strength to do what many thought would be the impossible. Once we realize that when we read the Word of God and you know the truth of who you are, I am not a man without arms and legs. I'm a, I am a child of God. I am forgiven of my sins. I'm an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I'm nothing but a servant of the Most High God. This is not about Nick. It's not about Nick's capacity and capability to become this conqueror. I am nothing. I'm nothing. God, though, lives in me, and I now live in His strength. And whatever Jesus conquered, I conquer. I believe if God doesn't give you a miracle, you are a miracle of God for somebody else's salvation. And I thank God that He didn't answer my prayer when I was begging Him for arms and legs at age eight. Because guess what? Because I have no arms and no legs, He's using me all around the world. And we've seen so far, approximately, uh, this is conservative, 200,000 souls come to Jesus Christ for the very first time in the last six, seven years. And what would you rather? Would you rather have arms and legs, Nick, here on earth and no arms? No whatever His will is, because I'd rather have no arms and no legs temporarily here on earth to be able to reach someone else for Jesus Christ and then spend eternity with them there. In the last decade, Nick has shared his story in 24 countries to over 3 million people. And whether he's talking to a stadium packed with people or one single person, his heart behind the message is the same. God loves you that he hasn't forgotten your pain, he hasn't forgotten your family. And maybe while you're watching this interview, you've compared your suffering to my suffering. And that's not where hope is, to know that someone else, in your opinion, is suffering more than you. That's not where hope is. But hope is in the name of God, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope is when you compare your suffering to the infinite, immeasurable love and grace of God. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength that shall mount up on wings as eagles. I didn't need my circumstance to change. I don't need arms and legs. I need the wings of the Holy Spirit. And I'm flying because I know Jesus is holding me up. Don't give up on God because God will not give up on you. Amen. You want to see this progression of how to really practice contentment in your life. Look at it in Nick's life. Look at, you, just, you just heard the threads of what we've been studying straight from Philippians in his life, how he, he thanked God for what he had, not what he didn't have, and focus on that. And then he said, God, he, there was a teaching moment in his life, right? But there needed to be a change. He needed flexibility in his life for him to say, okay, God, I am who you made me to be. Now, what, is, what, what do you want me to do in this world? He changed his thought life. He changed his, literally his actions. And then he, he focused on the power of God in his life. One more time, that last point. Look at it one more time. Uh, incredible riches, prosperity, it, cannot, it, it does not promise you happiness. And it, it cannot give it to you. And poverty cannot take it away. Nick's story is, is such a tremendous exclamation mark to that. Now write this one down. Last thing. Last thing. And then it's number four. It's a principle. Only Jesus has the power to give me happiness that transcends all of life's variables. Only Jesus has the power 
to, to give me the happiness that can transcend all of life's ups and its downs, lefts and its rights, all of life's variables, only Jesus. Now, now, by the way, the scripture, Paul said, for I have learned the secret, and then he said this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, here's the lie, and here's the myth. You will be, you will be enticed to at some point in your life believe that contentment can be found apart from God. That can, true happiness can be found apart from God. And here's how it happens. People, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, they run towards some hope, some goal, some destiny, something they think is going to make them happen. I think of it like, um, you ever seen a rainbow and you know the whole pot of gold at the end, the leprechaun thing? I think of it like that. Off in the distance, there is something out there and I'm going to run towards that and if I can ever get to that, one day I will be there. And for some people, you know, let's just call this the, the kind of lotto thing, right? I'm going to, one day a moment will happen in my life like the lotto and I will then be happy. And the truth of the matter is, you can get to that place. It's happened so many times. You can get all the money you want. You can get fame. You can get power. You can get prestige. You can get all the applause you want. And story after story after story after story tells us that you won't find happiness there. Contentment cannot be found apart from God. And you, you just look at, listen to the stories about the folks who got all the money they want, who got all the, 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 the fame they wanted, and what was noticeably absent in that place where they were? Happiness. True, abiding, deep contentment. It wasn't there. Here, here's the practice. Be dependent. Write that one down. Be dependent upon God, trusting in His power, trusting in His power to do His good work in you. Be dependent on him. If you buy into the enemy's lies over and over again, oh, your circumstance will make you happy. That's a lie, right? It's not your circumstance that's going to make you happy. The, the lies that are out there, you can, be, you can be happy, you can be content without God. It's just not true. I, I ask uh, the, the guys that put on the screen um, a picture, and here's the cover of a Sports Illustrated magazine. Many of you know who this guy is. What's his name? Muhammad Ali. He looks a little bit different now, doesn't he? Right? And Muhammad Ali was aging at this point. And um, a Sports Illustrated writer went out to Muhammad Ali's ranch because they wanted to do an interview with him. And they wanted to do an article called The Celebration of Ali. That's what the whole point of the interview was. And the guy's name was Gary Smith. He went out to do this interview with Muhammad Ali. And you know that Parkinson's, have you, you saw how Parkinson's wrecked uh, Muhammad Ali's body. And he went out to do this interview. And Muhammad Ali was walking him through the property and walked him out to a farmhouse. And Gary Smith, the Sports Illustrated writer, said he couldn't believe what he saw in the farmhouse. Inside the farmhouse was a wall. And on the wall were all these awards, these trophies, literally golden gloves hanging on the wall inside the farmhouse. He said it, he couldn't believe that what most people would work so hard for, for all of the awards and all the acclaim, that Muhammad Ali had put it in his farmhouse. And, and the writer of Sports Illustrated, Gary Smith, said literally there were pigeon droppings landing on some of the most prestigious things a boxer could ever achieve. And he said he heard Muhammad Ali say something 
And he said it sounded like it was from the back of his throat, like he was having a hard time saying it. And it was so quiet as they looked at that wall that he said he had to ask Muhammad Ali to repeat himself. And then Muhammad, I wrote the words down from the article. Muhammad Ali said these words for the second time where he could hear them and write them down. He said it this way, I guess. I had the world. I had all the world. And it was nothing. You know, guys, we are sold so many lies, aren't we? And I just, I kind of want to drive this home with a few thoughts. Maybe a few questions. What would it look like for you to learn deep contentment in your life. Would it mean you need to be more thankful? Or maybe you need to be, maybe number two is your place. I need to be more teachable. Maybe you need to change some things and be flexible about some things that you've been kind of rigid on. Or maybe, maybe it's the last point, you've been very dependent on you. Maybe you need to kind of do a surrender thing and cry out your dependence on him instead of on you. What would it look like for you to really grow? There's a second question I have for you. Don't you want your life to be the kind of life that your happiness and your joy is not dependent upon circumstances? That you look more like Paul who says, I've had plenty, I've had little. My happiness is not found in my circumstances. Don't you want that kind of life? Third question. Specifically thinking about Muhammad Ali and all those people who've sought the end of the rainbow and tried to get all the stuff and found in that place that there wasn't happiness. Have you been running for a long time trying to find contentment without Christ, without Jesus? And if you have, wouldn't you hear Paul's story today? And wouldn't you sit back and say, you know what? I'm tired of buying the lie. If I'm ever going to be happy, I think I got to have him. I'll say it a different way. Don't you want some Jesus? I mean, don't. Jesus wants you. He loves you so much. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for being in this place. And I I just believe that we're in a series of great growth right now. I think it's going to push us and stretch us. And I think your word today, you've spoken to the deepest places in us about who we are and who we long to be. And I just pray, God, that you would grow us to be incredibly thankful teachable, flexible, changing, learning, dependent followers of you. Oh God, teach us what it's like to really know happiness that is not dependent upon our circumstances. Teach us that, God, and help us to celebrate the good things that you've given to us. 
to count it all as gain and focus on that instead of the things that we don't have. And I pray, Jesus, that you would be our source and our strength. We want to be completely dependent on you. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that's never trusted you as their Savior, I pray that that heart's cry, that longing that, I, that was there in them just a few minutes ago when I asked that question, that you would let them respond out of that and say, Jesus, I want you. I'm tired of playing games. I want you. I want you at the core of who I am. Come in and live inside of me. Wash me clean and help me to walk with you every day of my life. I want to have a relationship with you that never ends. If that's your prayer, give your heart to him right now. Trust him with your future. He loves you with an everlasting love, and he has an eternity of good plan for you. Oh, God, you're so good to us. I thank you for your word today, and I thank you that you want to speak your word into us and over us and through us over this next series. Do a good and eternal work in our lives, Lord Jesus, we pray. We pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you're going to serve Holy Communion,